an aspect of all of this is your safety. Oh, I don't care about that. They want to kill me, kill me. Head of Army Intelligence in 1992, when he found out what we were doing, he was so angry. And he says, who the hell do you think you are? I said, well, I'm a free citizen of the earth and of the cosmos, and we're making contact. He says, you're not cleared. I said, I don't need your clearance or permission. So we went mano a mano, and I'm a nice guy until you challenge me, and I'm going to lay you out. And then I turned to him. I said, look, when I was 17, I died. I know there is no death. I know that what is within me and within all of us goes on forever and is infinite and eternal. And therefore, if you want to kill me, go ahead, but I'll be more trouble to you on the other side. And he knew I was going <laughs> he knew he knew I was gonna right do <laughs> he knew I was right. He knew I was right. Those people understand that. I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want. And I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm pretty intense. Today, you guys are in for a real treat. If you're ready to have your mind blown, just keep listening. Because on the show is Dr. Stephen Greer. He has two documentaries out called Unacknowledged, which came out a few years ago, and then one that just recently came out, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. He also has an app called CE5 that he talks about and refers to. He is a retired trauma surgeon. He was an ER doctor, and he has dedicated his life to exposing this aspect of reality that we have been, you know, had the veil pulled over our eyes on and has been hidden, which is extraterrestrials. He has such an awareness through his experiences and curiosity of consciousness. Um, but then there's this other side, which extra, which is extraterrestrial. And the thing is, is that <laughs> it's actually what it's, it, it connects all of us and that we are all connected to a cosmic consciousness. Like, have you ever heard of like the collective consciousness? That's what it is. Like we are all connected. Not only are we connected on this earth plane here, which is why, you know, a mother can sense their child or when you think of someone, all of a sudden they call, we're connected to extra extraterrestrial in the same way. So his life work is to bring this into mainstream and to um, save our planet, right? Because we're on a crash course right now in a lot of ways. And we have suppressed, had, had the information and technology suppressed for what can be brought and offered to us from other forms of reality in, in the universe. Because look, we're like five years, five years old. I mean, look what we can do in 10 years or a hundred years. And there are civilizations out there that are hundreds of thousands, millions of years older than us. So we have a lot to learn and we need to get humble. And I really hope that you'll stay tuned all the way to the end of this fascinating conversation with Dr. Greer. You know, I was remembering for some reason I had forgotten, but when I was watching, I watched Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind when it first came out last year. And I was watching it again the other night and I was remembering the story. I'm like, that's right. When I was in fifth grade, I did a book report on Close Encounters of the First, Second and Third Kind. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, so I'm 38 years old. So I was, you know, this is a long time ago, but that's how long I have been interested in 
reality and what's real. So you get the time frame of fifth grade. That's a long time being very interested in this world. And I remember being a kid and also thinking of space and thinking of, you know, infinity and what's at the end of infinity. There's, there's gotta yes. be, but if there's an end, then there's what's the end look like. And it would just give me a headache. So mm-hmm. how in the world? So I'm rambling on, but because I'm so interested, but also then it brings me to where I want you to help me out. Mm-hmm. It was like, when I, when I think of what I want to ask someone, it tends to have a flow. And what really struck me is just, there's really two different concepts that feel like they exist for you, which, or at least two different thoughts thought processes, thought lines. And one has to do with consciousness and our sovereign divinity within the unity of unity consciousness and the collective consciousness. But then the other is extraterrestrial activity and the information underneath that. So Mm -hmm. instead of me trying to figure it out, would you please help bridge the gap of how they connect for you? Well, the way it connects for me and it, it, I, people who haven't seen um, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, it's it's on Amazon Prime and a bunch of, and 2B and other places now. So you can see it for free if you have those. Um, that's sort of like a, a summary of what happened from when I was about eight or nine, where I had a sighting. I was very young, like yourself, got interested, but I had a daytime sighting and uh, with some my twin sister and some people in the neighborhood. And I went... Wow. And it was broad daylight, crystal clear. And this would have been 1963 or four. And um, I was really amazed. Of course, my parents saw we were nuts. And I, but I knew what I'd seen. And so, um, and then my uncle, the, you know, the lunar module landed on the moon with Neil Armstrong. That was my uncle was the senior project engineer designing the lunar module. So I had this real interest in space anyway. Oh. And um, I'm a medical doctor, tra- emergency trauma, shooting, stabbings, car wrecks, all the fun stuff. But I was like, this is really interesting. And then I sort of kind of forgot about it um, when I got, became more adolescent. But I was fascinated from age eight or nine till maybe 12, 13, read everything I could. And then when I was 17, I died. I had a, I was very sick and had a near-death experience. Um and we were raised very left brain, scientific, reductionist, not religious, uh, not spiritual. We just, you know, if it didn't fit in a test tube, it didn't exist, full stop. So when I had this happen, I realized, well, my conscious being is actually infinite and goes on forever. Mm. And I was, because I love space, instead of, you know, seeing some religious themed event, I went into outer space that's where I was in my near-death experience. And I actually saw it, experienced it out, out of body, as it were. And it was a beautiful experience. I mean, I just like literally went into this state of sort of cosmic consciousness. And, and I didn't know what that was because I was not raised with any understanding of the soul or the spirit or consciousness or infinity. So I said, you know, I really need to learn how to meditate. I survived, obviously, because here I am. And what I decided was that I really need to learn how to get to that state of samadhi or consciousness or higher consciousness without dropping dead. Right. Mm -hmm. So I learned meditation and then 
uh, went off to college. I was 17 when I had the near-death experience, so I'm 18 in the fall of 1973, and I'm meditating up on a mountain in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and right before sunset, uh, that same ET craft that I had seen when I was eight or nine reappeared, exactly, and it was just before sunset, I went, holy crap, this is amazing, and then it just vanished. I said, oh, well, they're gone, so I sat and meditated, and at the, I had this amazing meditation. And it was way, you know, an hour or two, it got dark. And at the end of it, I sort of came out of the deep meditative state and looked around and I saw the Milky Way above my head. We're up at over 5,000 feet. I was by myself. When I visited Egypt, I was introduced to an expert aromacologist who explained the healing powers of various scents. I returned home with 18 bottles of powerful essences that unlocked specific feelings and had all sorts of healing properties. I became inspired to find a functional way to deliver them in a new consumer lifestyle product. Candles became my medium. Voyant means seer, a reference to the inner eye chakra one of the key energy points in the body essential to wellness and healing. Voyant is a doorway to openness and imagination, a catalyst in our daily journey. Whether you're connecting with others or enjoying alone time, Voyant strives to beautify the home and the soul to create a haven of peace and joy. The candle is delivered with a beautiful monogram 12 ounce stemless wine glass, which can be used after the wax is gone. My limited edition candle collection is available exclusively at voyantbydanica.com. And I sort of realized, you know, what a beautiful universe that's been made and created that's conscious. All of it is conscious. And I saw the stars and everything as pure consciousness becoming those things. It was beautiful. And at that moment, uh, a little ET, well, little compared to me, I'm 6'4 and 230 pounds, but and an athlete. So he appeared right beside me and touched me on my right shoulder. And I had this amazing story uh, event that happened. And that's how we created the Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind uh, protocol, what we call CE5 Contact. And there's an app that people can get called CE5 Contact that trains people to do the meditation and make the contact. And I written now I was too young at age 18 I was just turned 18 to understand why that worked. But then I became a meditation teacher back in the day. Louise Hay was a student of mine. And then subsequently, Jim Carrey and Deepak Chopra, all these people got involved. But it was before I went to medical school. And I thought and I studied really scientifically meditation, brainwave activity, as well as the sort of what people call metaphysical part. Mm -hmm. But what I realized was that the physics of consciousness was very well known, even back then in the, in the early mid 70s, and that the consciousness field is actually unbounded and is embedded within every point in space and time. And there have been experiments that had proven that even back then. Now there's more experimental evidence for that is from Dr. John at Princeton. You know, we refer to these in the documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. But I didn't understand that from a left brain point of view, intellectual point of view, when I had the experience. But then I discovered that. And then I understood why and how the ETs had made contact. Because those civilizations, you know, we have these things called cell phones and 
it's really rubbish, isn't it? I mean, it's like from 1844, the electromagnetic signals are 170 years old. It's rubbish. I'm so fascinated by uh, the story and, and wish I hope you can share more on like what exactly happened and what information came through when you had that meditative experience where you had an encounter and when you were present with an ET uh, what else can you share? Well, one thing I learned, which was I didn't understand scientifically, we understand it now, and we touch on in, in the documentary Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, is that these civilizations, which are hundreds of thousands to millions of years more advanced than we are, have pretty much perfected what Elon Musk is trying to do with Neuralink, where he has a, a company trying to figure out how you can think to your computer, and it does things without wires. Now, as you know, Dr. John at Princeton had experimental electronic devices that people could think to and they would react mm -hmm. uh, to the thought. And this has been very well reproduced all over the world. What these civilizations have are extremely accurate uh, interfaces with consciousness and directed thought that pick up the thought as clearly as you and I are talking on this electromagnetic signal. So that's how that whole event happened. It was all based in consciousness and thought. Now, that sounds like something way out there, except when you start talking to people at the CIA, like Dr. Dr. Russell Targ, who's a laser physicist for Lockheed, who for 20 years was at the CIA doing consciousness studies, using consciousness to spy on the Soviet Union. So everyone thinks that this is very fringe. It isn't. It's only fringe because the mainstream media ridicules it. But in reality, everyone at a senior level of the intelligence community knows this is real. So I stumbled across it. And then I realized that these guys, these ET civilizations have that ability. But I didn't understand how it worked. It was all kind of a mystery to me at age 18. Subsequently, though, I realized that uh, the reason they were wanting me to understand it uh, was, I guess they figured because I had had some kind of sighting and contact and interest in them, but I was also experiencing these higher states of consciousness that maybe they could, you know, develop something with me as a young man, 18 year old guy, where I could use it to set up and educate the public about making contact. Now that was 1973. I didn't do anything with it for a long time because I didn't know what to do with it until 1990. And we started the CE5 contact protocols, which now, of course, we have hundreds of thousands of people around the world doing it. But um, it, it was quite a journey for me as a young boy, you know, doing that. And uh, as you know, you know like um, last summer, Demi Lovato and her friends on her birthday had the CE5 contact app and they were practicing it and they had this amazing et craft come over they all saw it was very exciting and they put it on instagram <laughs> so what i'm trying to do is have people understand that you don't have to be some kind of you know a yuri geller or mystic or cia remote viewer to do this every single person who's conscious and awake can connect to that quiet state of mind and do this because these civilizations if you're doing this with the right attitude, let's say, and philosophy, and you're not, you know, afraid and all that kind of silly things, they're going to pick that up and something will happen. Not every time, but they're very interested in humans going into this sort of new understanding of the cosmos where we realize we and the cosmos 
are awake. And we're mm. all sort of part of this conscious hologram known as reality. And that's really what they want us to understand because that's the foundation of becoming interstellar. And, and our civilization is at the brink of going from a tribalistic warring civilization to an interplanetary one. But to do that, you have to have some foundation mm -hmm. in uh, understanding what is the point where we have something in common. Well, it's not our own humanity. That's humanism because these are not humans. It has to be something more transcendent, deeper. And that's this conscious field that's universal. I mean, this is I call it universal consciousness or cosmic consciousness. And that they understand very well. It's not just a philosophy. It's actually an operating system. Like your computer has an operating system. This understanding of cosmic consciousness and the fact that the universe is a conscious hologram where everything's connected to each other, in, like in physics, in a hologram, that they understand. But they also know that we have to only understand it intellectually, but begin to actually, you know, walk that talk. What is our role in the in the universe? What is our, what is why? In the heart of Napa Valley lays Somnium, which means to dream in Latin. The Somnium Vineyard Estate is an extension of the love and intensity that I pour into everything I do. To experience our wines, visit somniumwine.com and use the code Somnium to receive a $10 flat shipping rate. Please drink responsibly. I are extraterrestrial interested in us. Well, I think there's been an interest in this planet for millions of years. Okay. I don't think this is new. I think what became very much where we became a planet of concern, like our state department has nations of concern mm -hmm. is that in the forties, when we detonated the first atomic bomb, that sent up a big red flag over this planet going warning, this civilization can not only be at a point now where they can destroy all life on this planet. But mm -hmm. shortly thereafter, we started going into space with Sputnik. We could become an existential threat to other peaceful planets, some of whom do not even have a concept of war and conflict, we've learned. So I think that we were viewed, I mean, it's funny because in the media and Hollywood and, and the internet and the whole UFO subculture, it's always, you know, why are the aliens here and the dangerous aliens and fear, fear, fear. I'm going, no, you got it upside down, dude. It's the other way around. We're the scary ones. We're yeah. the ones who killed hundreds of millions of people in the last century in war. We're the ones who have thousands of thermonuclear weapons. And we're the ones going into space with weapon systems that are classified that I know about and been briefed on that are a thousand times worse than a thermonuclear weapon. So this is the problem. The problem is that they know we have great potential and beauty within humanity, but they also know that some of the very powerful interests in the planet, you know, what Eisenhower, President Eisenhower called the military industrial complex, mm -hmm. um, have this sort of addiction to viewing everything as a threat. They, they view anything they don't understand as a threat. And as one naval intelligence guy told me, I asked him, I said, why are we targeting these ET spacecraft and not and killing them occasionally? He says, because we view this as our planet. If they don't act, ask our military's permission, we're going to kill them and shoot them down. So that is how primitive and stupid the thinking is on that. People make it very complicated. When I've been at the Pentagon briefing three-star generals and people like this, um, that, the, that is 
quite simply the mindset. So the general public doesn't understand that, you know, as, as Danny Sheehan, who's this famous civil rights and constitutional attorney said, if you're a, if you're a hammer, the whole world's a nail. So in this case, if you know, if you're a military and you're or, oriented towards yeah. um, everything being a threat that you don't understand, then they're a threat. In reality, it's the other way around. The reason these you, you see in, in the media coming out through the Senate Intelligence Committee um, that they're, they're trying to posit this as a national security threat because the ETs have been seen doing surveillance over our nuclear facilities and what have you. But that's not because they're a threat. If they wanted to take us out, it'd been done in 1945. I mean, the technologies they have could have terminated our civilization in an instant. But they're not. They're, they're, they have a Gandhian, like Gandhi or Christ or some enlightenment, they have a, that level of pacifism simply because they have pulled their punches waiting for us, we the people, to resolve this problem over the last 60 or 70 years. So that's why I left my medical career a few years ago is to resolve this crisis that is unacknowledged. By the way, the other documentary on Amazon Prime and other sites is called Unacknowledged, and it stands for, it's the first word in a, a level of very top secret projects known as Unacknowledged Special Access Projects. Those are the projects that are very, very secret that I found out in the 90s when I was briefing uh, Bill Clinton, CIA director, and other people like that, that they were being denied access to those projects. And uh, so most people don't realize I have a home in Washington and a home out here in Charlottesville near the University of Virginia. And most people don't realize that most of these politicians and even senior military are not briefed at that level of clearance. And, and that has created its own problems because in the vacuum of that secrecy, all kinds of nutty, crazy, dangerous things are going on. And there's nobody mining the store. There's nobody watching this. So that's that's why you know one of the components of what I'm doing is what we call the Disclosure Project. This year is the 20-year anniversary of the big National Press Club event we did in May of 2001, where I had the first 22 of what is now 950 whistleblowers, military, intelligence, corporate people who are giving us information, documents, what have you come forward in front of the whole world about 800 900 million people saw that but in the in the years since unfortunately it's now gone in a good way it's gone mainstream the whole this whole subject you see it in the new york times cnn washington post but it's always got this narrative attached to it that it's a threat you know the whole hoax of an alien How do they do that what 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 i mean there's two parts to it which is like why is it hidden and why are they trying to perpetuate a fear-based uh association with extraterrestrial and put propaganda out there through stories or movies or whatever what why first off why are they trying to promote extraterrestrial in a negative way that's a threat well the main reason for that is they it's money and power so if you understand how demagogues and uh big governmental systems work to control the public they do it mainly through fear and oh, by the way organized religion has done this as well this sort of demagoguery i grew up in north carolina in the south in charlotte by the way great nascar city as you know oh yeah i lived in uh i lived in mooresville when i was there oh you're kidding 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've never been to a NASCAR years. race because when I was young, we were too poor. And when I got older, I got too busy. You need to take oh. me to a NASCAR race. No problem. I'll drive you there. Oh, oh that'd be awesome. I'd be in good hands. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I love cars, by the way. But oh. so um, there's a boy that way. But I like girls that like it, too. So. <laughs> you know, my daughters, by the way, I really, really, when I found out, you know, that you wanted to do this interview, I was so excited because I have these four daughters. Mm. who are very accomplished, but have had to go through a lot of, of glass ceilings and stuff mm. because they're female. Mm -hmm. And um, being the father of four daughters, I go, yeah, you go, girl. Don't listen to these people say you can't do it because yep. you're a female. I mean, I just think all that prejudice is such rubbish and good for you for, for doing what you have done. But honestly, you're doing the exact same thing in just a different arena. Yeah. You know, while there are women in the world and that's a dynamic, this is also a dynamic in the world that's mm -hmm. been repressed. Yes. And so true. I just don't understand why. It's, it's, well, look, you know, we learned, as you know, from uh, Werner von Braun, who invented the rocket, Adolf Hitler. He got brought into the United States mm -hmm. after World War II and became the foundation of our aerospace program. His spokeswoman, a woman, one of the first women in aerospace, Carol Rosen, she's now in her late 70s. She, on, on, on his deathbed, Verna von Braun begged her to stop what they had a long-term plan to do, and that is to enrich the military-industrial complex and to accumulate power around uniting the world around, quote, an alien threat that's a hoax. And that's been a 70-year project that we're trying to divert. The other reason, which is kind of related, is that, you know, you and I are using cars and jets and rockets and our electricity is mostly coming from fossil fuels or gas or coal or what have you. And we haven't needed those technologies since before I was born. I was born in June of 1955. My senior uh, naval intelligence advisor, who was the head of the Naval Research Labs in Washington as, as the chief scientist, not the administrator, but the scientist was in a vault where he saw the documents that stated explicitly that we mastered anti-gravity, gravity control in October of 1954. Mm -hmm. And that means that the energy system that's running these UFOs is being pulled from the fabric of space called zero point. And the propulsion isn't rockets or jets. It's mm -hmm. uh, electromagnetic vortices. I'm not going to get into the physics of it because your audience will go to sleep. But we know it very well down to the equations. I have people on my team who have this worked out to the equations right. mathematically. And so we haven't needed any of this stuff that's destroying the biosphere, carbon-based technologies, but that is hundreds of trillions of dollars. So it, between the power of controlling the narrative through fear and the money and power that goes along with oil and the petrodollar and the banking system based on the dollar, which is based on petroleum, et cetera, and so on, it's a very big deal. You know, when I was at Lawrence Rockefeller's ranch, he was the scion of the Rockefeller family, who ironically was Standard Oil, right? That became ExxonMobil and all those. He told me, you know, he said, look, Dr. Greer, this is a big deal because if this comes out, no aspect of life on earth will be unaffected by it. I said, yes, I know. It's why it has to happen. Our civilization is stuck in the late 1800s paradigm of oil and gas and linear electricity lines. So we have 100 years of lost social progress, 
uh, anti-poverty, the environment is being very strained oh. because of this. And we're headed into a, a deep dive, as you know. I mean, an extinction-level event is possible, all because of greed and stupidity of men. So I think that we have to realize that the, these extraterrestrial civilizations, to pivot back to your question earlier, they're very knowledgeable that most humans are not corrupt that way. But they're also not informed. So I've sort of felt like somebody needed to do something to get the information out to the public. And then the other part of what I do, which doesn't get talked about much, is that I provide briefings to the president and CI director and members of Congress even still. I mean, I, was, I have a member of my team that was running this information to President Trump and, and, and Pence until they left office up until a couple of days before. We found out that, that President Trump and Pence had been brainwashed, that the aliens were a national security threat that gave us the Space Force. Uh, we now have a new administration that I'm doing some things with. But, you know, I had briefed President Biden when he was sen uh, uh, senator and was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee because, let's face it, these are intelligent life forms. That's the ultimate foreign relations, right? It's not between U.S. and Russia. It's between Earth and these other civilizations. But that relationship has been totally mismanaged through the secrecy, because most people in government, no one, very few people at the United Nations, almost no one at the State Department knows anything about this. So the whole subject has been mismanaged. And so that's why I tell, I tell people the reason CE5 contact is so important is so that we become sort of citizen ambassadors to those civilizations mm -hmm. and let them know that not everyone on this planet is a sociopath who wants to shoot yeah. them down. Yeah. Well, it's a direct, I mean, it's, it's because of the experience. I was just having a conversation with a girl last night who's doing some really progressive things when it comes to um, consciousness alignment with goddesses and genome and all kinds of things. It's again, we're we're working into the quantum into different fields to access what's really available to us. And that's that the real transformation is the experience. And so CE5, which I did get the app, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people around here in Scottsdale that are uh, that have this app and are on the program. Um, is that it's it's in that direct experience that then you can start to believe for yourself. Right. Um, what's make going a difference on for the world too? Yeah. Well, what I've always been curious about too, and maybe you can, maybe you know, I would imagine you have some insight, is that. I'm curious if some of the activity that we've seen in the sky sometimes is actually us recreating from our from crash from 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 an, from a from a from a craft that's crashed and we harvest the information from that and reverse engineer it for our own is is sometimes what we see in the sky us trying things out Oh, yes, absolutely. They remember what I just said. Since October 1954, the technologies were uh, figured out of how yeah. to move and create objects that look like a UFO um, uh, or an ET craft. And so one of the things we want to do between now and June, when the director of national intelligence has been ordered to issue a report on this, is to do an expose of not only this agenda of falsely um, portraying the ETs as a threat, 
for for greedy purposes, mm -hmm. but also uh, to show what my researchers have. We have two hundred thousand pages of documents and blueprints and models, 3D models of man-made UFOs that have come out of the Lockheed Skunk Works, my uncle's company, Northrop Grumman, Boeing, and other, other classified contractors with the US government in these unacknowledged special access projects, ones that are deep black, super black. And so, yes, what you're saying is a very important point. And that is when you see something, you have to ask a question, is it ours? Mm. And it's classified, and they want you to think it's ET, or is it extraterrestrial? Now, mm. that's a deeper discussion on what the distinctive qualities of that are. Mm -hmm. But I know people, I've personally, because for 30 years, I've led a team, a research team that's gone all over the world to make contact. And we have hundreds of hours of videos and photographs, yeah. uh, some of which appear in this Close Encounters well, of the Fifth. Yeah, Hunter. there's a lot of footage in there that's very... Very obvious. And mind-blowing, yeah. Yes. And including pictures of ETs that have been right next to us in these circles we do, um, which is another whole discussion of the way contact happens. Mm. But um, one of the things that I, I, I warn people of is that the reason, the biggest secret that they are not talking about in the New York Times and CNN and the mainstream media isn't the fact that the UFOs are real. Everybody knows that. Uh, they're, they're, they're slow to the party, right? Mm -hmm. They're not telling the public that our classified projects have that capability. And in fact, they are overtly lying to the president, these covert programs, and to senators at, on the Senate Intelligence Committee, I've found, because, about that, because they don't want them to know these exist, because they want to use those to sort of hoax or fake alien attacks or alien events, uh, which they've been doing for decades. For example, a lot of people have heard of these alien abductions and mutilations. I personally have more than a dozen people on my team who have been tactical members of, of military and, and corporate groups that have been doing the abductions. They're using man-made UFOs, chemicals, and electronic warfare to do this. So everyone thinks, oh, that was an alien encounter. I said, uh, no, it wasn't. They stage it very well. They're extremely good at staging this. And, you know, one of the things you'll see in Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, if you look at that documentary, it's a very fast moving documentary. But there's an Air Force intelligence official in there that I asked this question to when I interviewed him. He had been for a decade or two in, in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And he says, oh, yes, we've been doing that. He just flat out admits it. But then he realizes he says something he shouldn't. He says, but that's very secret. That's still very classified. And he backs out of it. The interview is fat. The whole interview is fascinating. But we just have a little clip in this documentary. So you can imagine in the 90s, early 90s, when I had people who were in these tactical teams who were engaged in that kind of deception, I went, oh, boy, this is what's going on. So a lot of people say, you know, kind of false flags, kind of hooks. And when is that going to happen? I said it started in the 50s. So whatever people Google, if you Google this subject, about 90 plus percent of it, frankly, I'm a big skeptic, is nonsense that's been embedded in the pop culture because mm -hmm. it scares people. And if it scares people, that yeah. is what they want. They want to brainwash the population through fear prior to what's happening this year. 
And that's why I'm about to do an expose. We may, between now and June, I'm trying to put some cosmonauts together and people from other countries in the U.S., as well as Carol Rosen, who worked with Werner Von Braun, and do another event where we get this out to the public so they're not, it's like the who after Vietnam War. We won't be fooled again, you know, that song. We won't, well, we were fooled again. Guess what? The Iraq War was all based on false intelligence that was hoaxed that Dick Cheney and his people got to Colin Powell. Colin Powell was a victim. He goes to the United Nations, presents all this. Afterwards, he admitted that he was played like a fiddle by these intelligence folks and that Saddam Hussein didn't have any of those weapons. But a million dead people later and $2 trillion later and a horrible war that's busted up the Middle East and Syria later. So that is what they're planning to do on the UFO and ET subject that we have to avert. We have to stop. It's a house of cards because that's what's happening is that as we start to realize if one thing, if they've lied about one thing, what else are they lying about? So if they're doing false flags for as UFOs or extraterrestrial interaction, that's a, that's a false flag. And that's, that's a lie. What else have they done that is in that same vein? And Mm -hmm. so it's in this time that we are, bursting the bubble on all this stiff stuff. And what I cannot for the life of me figure out is how, I mean, look, it is dissolving. The veil is getting thinner between reality and the um, movie they've been playing for us. Right. The Truman show. The Truman show. Oh my God. I was watching the Truman show a few weeks back and I was like, I'm watching a documentary called the Truman show. And then I watched the matrix, which is also another documentary. Um, but I just don't get how they can keep it hidden. Well, they hide it in plain sight. Back in the early 90s, after I briefed the CIA director, I had a guy who was on the committee dealing with the secrecy um, that had been lying to President Clinton. Uh, and he said, look, we just hide this in plain sight. We, we put this out there in a way that is the public is aware of it. I mean, I think after pornography, the number one search thing on the Internet are UFOs. But the problem is, is that they attach the false narrative to it. So it's sort of like the way counterintelligence works and false information works. You put a little bit of truth at the center of it, like those Tic Tac, those craft that our Navy jets chased off the coast of California. It's been on all the news for the last two or three years. The Pentagon has affirmed that those are real UFOs. But they attach in every article this statement that it's a national security threat. So they're, they're now gone from pop culture and movies in Hollywood and the UFO subculture, sort of fringe, to the mainstream media. And now from the director of national intelligence due in June is this report that was ordered in the COVID bill signed in December 27th. They have 188, 180 days to get that out. So I'm trying to get more of this information out, including showing the models and the aircraft that were developed through my uncle's company and Lockheed Skunk Works back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and they continue to be developed that have been kind of hoaxing events. So that's that's really, really important. And in the meanwhile, what the average person can do is form a, a, a little CE5 contact team. One of the interesting things about this app we just released is that it has a... Um, a networking feature so you can see who's around you like yeah. in Scottsdale or LA or London or whatever and you can kind of 
it's kind of like a dating app for Cosmos, but where you can meet other people and do these these protocols so you're not by yourself. Um, and even you can do it remotely through, through Zoom and things. But we're having people all over the world have amazing contact experiences. We had a, a truck driver from Croatia who wrote into the website and my wife monitors it, the, the website. We don't have any staff, by the way. Don't get grandiose. My wife and I have a little corner of our living room and volunteers. We have no offices, no staff, everything. We crowdfunded these documentaries through donations. Um, nobody's ever helped us. We just put the information out. It's just a labor of love. But she'll get these emails from people. And there was this truck driver in Croatia who pulled over late at night in the mountains. And he had the app, the CE5 contact app. And was doing the the techniques and the meditation. Suddenly, this ET craft pops right beside his truck on the left, and comes and floats over the front of it, and then vanishes, sort of letting them him know we got your signal and we're here. Thank you know. There's just an acknowledgement. And this was a truck driver. I mean, it wasn't like it was like Guru Guru Swami Shevananda or something. You know, this is like a dude driving a truck. All right, through the mountains. So I tell people that these, this capability that we have within us, the light of consciousness is the birthright of every single human. But it's also yeah. the birthright and present in every ET because they're conscious and sentient. And since they have technologies that we haven't yet developed, at least not in the covert world, <laughs> I mean, not in the overt world, you know, they exist in classified projects mm -hmm. um, that interface with consciousness and thought. That's why these protocols work as sort of far out as it sounds. It sounds really far out until you take a, a few hours and do a deep dive into the science behind what has been already done at, at yeah. Princeton and other universities yeah. about consciousness and the fact that the conscious field is sort of everywhere omnipresent and can be interfaced with by humans and be, can be measured. So those are early studies, but it just means that we're, we're really on to a whole new science here dealing yeah. with consciousness and in its application, sort of deep spirituality, not necessarily organized religion, but spirituality on a deep level. And where physics, yeah. where physics and, and spirituality come together, it's really quite amazing. Yeah, it, it is. And I agree. Who is really controlling this narrative? Because it seems like when you dive into enough of this stuff, you start to understand that like there's a lot of levels above what we think's in charge. And right. so ha it feels like it feels like whoever is in control at the tippy top mm -hmm. is is the place to go because clearly it's not happening at the level we're at. There's a committee. I know a number of the members of it called, uh, it's had various names over the years back in the forties, fifties. It was called MJ 12, um, majority 12, uh, a group of men that were in charge of this issue. Um, it's one of the names It's in the nineties. I have a document that was given to me. That's classified that I published. There's a book called unacknowledged that has this document in it. Mm. Um, called MAGIC, M-A-J-I-C. What it stands for is the Majority Intelligence Committee. And it's a group of people who deal with this, but they have, they're sort of permanently in the system and have 
activities that are above what are usually told to a president or a senator or a member of the, the Congress. In fact, I mean, to give you an idea how secret this is, I spent a couple of hours, um, two or three hours, and I brought astronaut uh, Edgar Mitchell with me to the Pentagon for this. And because he was, I was teaching him about this issue back in the 97. And the man who was the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Tom Wilson, we had gotten a document to him that had a lot of the code names that I have for these projects and where they are, which facilities, which companies. I have all this information. It's in the book, Unacknowledged, for anyone who wants to read it. I've updated it since then. But that admiral who, now you have to understand, this is the man in charge of doing the intelligence briefings for the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States Pentagon military. He had been denied access to those projects. And when he started pushing on it, he was overtly threatened and told they would demote him, take a star off of his lapel if he kept pushing. So by the time I got to the briefing in person, this was a document I sent ahead of time. He was furious and scared. And it was supposed to be a 45-minute stand-up briefing that I was doing for this admiral. And it ended up going on for two or three hours because uh, it was just so much information and it was so important to him. But he was really afraid because he said, look, I have this responsibility. He says, who else have you briefed who have been denied access to the projects? I said, well, the president, the CIA director, members of the Senate Intelligence Committee, some members of the Foreign Relations Committee. And he was horrified. I said, yes, this is sort of a subterranean, highly classified group that does what they damn well wish. And uh, the reason I ended up briefing the CIA director for Mr. Clinton, for President Clinton in 93, a few months after he took office, was because Clinton had ordered the CIA director and some people at the Department of Justice that he was friends with, Webster Hubble and others, to look into this. And they couldn't get anything. And they knew they were being lied to. So they knew I had collected information, but more importantly, the people who set up the meeting knew that my team had successfully made direct contact with the ETs, that we'd figured out the sort of Rosetta Stone of how to communicate using consciousness and thought and these techniques. Mm -hmm. So I go up there with my wife. I'm a young doctor in my 30s, rattling around in an emergency department. And so I'm doing this sort of shuttle diplomacy, as it were, up to D.C., raising four daughters and being an emergency doctor, taking care of horrific trauma. But I go, now I'm into real trauma because I'm now sitting here with the director of the CIA. And I didn't believe it at first. I thought he was lying when I got the letter from his people. But it turned out he was denied access. And this is a very dangerous thing. So later I found out from someone on the committee, this so-called magic MAJIC group, that the president doesn't need to know and we're not going to tell him anything. They just, he just, this person just flat out told me, he, he said that those people come every four to eight years. We tell them what we want to tell them and the rest, we just don't tell them anything. So this was something that I realized at that point that we we're dealing with an unconstitutional criminal enterprise. And that's when I went through the looking glass. That's when it got really rough. Um, and of course, this is a 30 year journey. I'm giving you a really quick kind of cliff notes for, but it was, it was scary, frankly. I mean, to, to, I don't know if you can imagine being younger than you are, being responsible for briefing the CIA director 
and find out, gee, you know, we don't know anything because this group is lying to us. So that sort of upended my whole worldview of politics, government, civics, all that. Well, definitely an aspect of all of this is your safety. Oh, I don't care about that. If they want to kill me, kill me. Maybe that's why they haven't, right? Because you just don't let that into your consciousness as an I'm not afraid of it. No, you know, it. you know, it's funny that the head of army intelligence in 1992, when he found out what we were doing, he was so angry. He threatened me with, I took me to a hotel room till late in two, three in the morning with an NSA national security agency guy and some other spooks. And he says, who the hell do you think you are? I said, well, I'm a free citizen of the earth and of the cosmos, and we're making contact. He says, you're not cleared. I said, I don't need your clearance or permission. So we went mano a mano, and I'm a nice guy until you challenge me, and I'm going to lay you out. So yeah. here we go. So we go mano a mano with this guy. Yeah, I sort of grew up in the South and <laughs> in a way that was rough and tumble. And I said, oh, you don't, you're not afraid of you. I deal with people coming to the ER with automatic weapons in my face. You think I'm afraid of you? So... And then I turned to him. I said, look, when I was 17, I died. I know there is no death. I know that what is within me and within all of us goes on forever and is infinite and eternal. And therefore, if you want to kill me, go ahead. But I'll be more trouble to you on the other side. And he knew I was. <laughs> <laughs> he knew. He knew, I was gonna right do, <laughs> he knew I was right. He knew I was right. Those people understand that. So, um, so that happened. And then about a month later, he came to an event that astronaut Brian O'Leary uh, and I had organized up in uh, Colorado near uh, uh, Estes Park in the Rockies. And he came and he offered me personally um, two billion with a B billion dollars if I would be quiet. And I said, no, I can't be bought off. You're not going to buy me or scare me. So he goes behind my back to my wife, who is this wonderful, you know, sort of a Jewish doctor's daughter who is sort of epitomizes noblesse oblige, very kind. Uh, in this Peace Corps, they called her Saint M because she's so kindly. But and, and she said, oh, he's such a nice man. I said, no, he's a devil with forked tongue. Because my, my, my grandmother was Cherokee, Native American. Ooh, and, I know uh, a little bit of that, too. Oh, cool. Awesome. And so I said, no, I said, we're not going to, we're not getting in bed with these crooks and we're not going to be scared of them. But yeah, and that was when a billion dollars was a lot of money. Now, of course, everybody in Silicon Valley makes a billion dollars a week, but um, still a lot of money, but I'm joking, but I just said, said, how corrupt is that? Now this gets into a big problem, uh, Danica, is that there are people when they start getting close to the truth, and they think they could be a little too much trouble, like I was. They are either threatened or they are given a buyout offer. Be quiet, do what we tell you to do, and there'll be a fund in some country that you can use. Maybe not two billion, but tens of millions. It's corruption on a really large scale. And you know, I met with a man in um, Phoenix back in '93 who said, "You know, we have provided over." million to at least 10,000 people or more to secure their cooperation on the secrecy. That was in 93. 
And this was a member of this committee I'm referring to. So between the threats and the corruption and bribes, this is, I mean, you know, people think Watergate was a, a scandal or Iran-Contra. This is the biggest scandal in the history of the United States, period. And that's why I'm the most hated person in Washington and the most hated person in the mainstream media, because as you know from seeing Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, Danny Sheehan, who represented the New York Times against the Pentagon and during the Pentagon Papers, the Vietnam War, he saw a document that listed 42 editors and senior people on media around the world that were on the payroll of the CIA, but had cover working as an editor here and there. So this is another reason why social media platforms and shows like yourself are so important because I am completely blacklisted from most of those uh, uh, outlets because I'm not gonna just say, gee, this is a UAP, a stupid fake term. Um, we don't know what it is. We don't know where they come from and cover up the fact that our classified aerospace programs that my uncle worked for Northrop Grumman, the biggest ones, one of the biggest, that we have these technologies that would save the world's environment. You talk about the ultimate Green New Deal. It's bringing these technologies out. You don't need a windmill or solar farm if something that is, is two feet by two feet would run your entire building with no energy cost day and night without well the i mean there's of course the whole nikola tesla thing and exactly how did how did he die and why are we not using free energy and you right. know i mean that's it's been going on forever we wouldn't have to look at stupid power lines along the streets and wreck our view yeah. and you know right. waste a ton of it's just that it's just pointless technology it is pointless and even solar and wind which of course at least don't pollute they are don't have the in energy density to run 8 billion people on this planet in enough time. We have got to bring these new technologies out. That's a long-term goal of mine is to put together enough people who begin to understand this. So we start an open source research and development lab that brings these technologies out. I've got a computer disk with hundreds of pages of confiscated patents related to this that go back a hundred years that was given to me by a CIA contact. But you've got to have a lab build these things up, but you know, we have it. But that's your talking now, not crowdfunding. I think we crowdfunded $900,000 for Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. And we the distributor won't pay for any of the publicity either. So we had to pay for the production and the publicity. And so we used up all that money, but we, I don't have enough ability to get tens of millions of dollars put together to start a serious high energy physics research and development program, that's gonna be way beyond my capability as a retired doctor. You know, I don't have that ability. Would there be some people out there though that would be in alliance with your mission and truth? And I think they're coming out in spades more and more, whether they're even, because again, it's that blending of science and spirituality. And so it's like, you know, whether they're someone like that works more on the bio, bio farming, biohacking, like you name it, there's people that I, I, I feel that I feel that there'd be people that would be willing to get behind this. And so what that leads to is a question of like, what's the tipping point? Like, what's that point in time where this becomes mainstream believed and 
a real thing in this world instead of just speculation, curiosity. No, it should have happened decades ago. And I was sitting at Senator Barry Goldwater's house, who lived right near you in in Paradise Valley Hmm. back in the 90s. He was the senior senator Republican from Arizona who ran in 1964 for president. And when I was at his home, he was in his 80s and retired. And he told me some amazing stories. And he said, you know, excuse my language. He said it was a goddamn mistake then and a goddamn mistake now that this was ever kept secret. But when he tried to find out about it, because he had heard rumors about this subject through Air Force buddies, he was a Air Force, a general in the Air Force Reserves. He turned to um, General Curtis LeMay, who was in charge, a chief of staff of the Air Force back then. And he said, Curtis, I'd like to be shown the blue room at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where the early ET materials that we captured were being stored. And General LeMay, I mean, this is from very Goldwater's lips to my ears, turned to Curtis, uh, Curtis LeMay turned to Barry Goldwater and said, God damn it, Barry, I can't even get into that area anymore. And if you ever ask me about this again, I will personally see that you are court-martialed out of the Air Force. This to a senior U.S. senator. Now that people hearing what I just said, think about who Senator Goldwater was. Google him if you don't have don't remember your history books. I met with this man. He says absolutely he was denied access, even though he was head of the Republican Party, ran for president, lost to Lyndon Johnson, and was a senior senator in, on armed services and all these, and was a general in the Air Force Reserves. Didn't matter. And he had a very close relationship with General LeMay, who unfortunately became famous for recommending that we drop nuclear weapons in Vietnam, which we didn't, thankfully. But my point is, is that even General LeMay at a certain point got denied access to these projects. That is how wrapped up this is. I have a beautiful letter from Senator Goldwater wishing, hoping that we can succeed in doing this. But he was not able to penetrate that system, even given his bona fides. How do you get access to this information in these people? It's it just it's sort of mysterious how it happens. But I think part of it is that uh, people know that I'm a very serious person about this. I have the largest archive in the world. I don't trade in Internet rumors. I only talk about actionable intelligence from direct sources, not secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. Um, and, and, I, and it's very hard to do that because the rumor mill on this subject is rumors of rumors of rumors. And that's what most programming and internet and shows are usually. And I kind of steer clear of that because uh, I can't afford that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, you know, I've been invited to, to meet with a lot of uh, world leaders and ministers of defense and um, people, and then the, the military and intelligence and corporate people who are in these classified projects continue every week or two. There's a new one who reaches out to me. Mm. Mm. Most of them are terrified to come out publicly. Mm-hmm. But I, if you go to my YouTube channel, you can drop a link. I have something like 70 of these top secret people's testimonies on my YouTube channel. Now, I don't have that many people. I have like 340,000 followers because we don't have a social media team. We don't have a publicist. We don't, we don't have anything. I mean, we're like pathetic, really. But 
we do what we can. My wife is 72 now, and we just sit in the corner of our living room and try to fight the fight. But, um, you know, and we have great volunteers, but we don't have any institutional support or help. And most people don't understand that there's a YouTube channel there with dozens of top secret, bona fide people. I mean, they, they do a really good job with algorithms and controlling yes. and shutting things down that, you know, your YouTube, look, I watch YouTube. I just watch information. I mean, like I yes. Yes. I have the show because I, I, I'm already consuming information. So sometimes I watch a show like yours and I'm like, let's see if he'll talk to me. And sometimes we get an interview and then I learn about them, but either way <laughs> I'm consuming information. Yes. And so um, which leads me to a curious question, and it kind of like links up a little bit with potential an extraterrestrial of an extraterrestrial, but um, and it's this idea or that well, it's this direction we're going as a as a civilization with AI, mm -hmm. and yes, then the sort of and the, again, like I'm not by any means as educated as you are on all this, but then there's there's conversations around if there is a sort of if extraterrestrials are here, negative thought form extraterrestrials, either feeding off of our negative energy and getting getting energy from us as we are some sort of a, I mean, it's really in the matrix, actually, where we are, we are sourcing energy for them. I mean, the way that we, the amount of energy that we create as a being is, is really extremely high. Um, or if, you know, if there's, I mean, of course, then you can go down even further rabbit holes on shapeshifters and inner earth beings and, you know, reptilians. And, you know, there's a million different directions you could go with this, but most I'm of which is most of which is rubbish. So let me kind of provide some clarity to all that. Thank you. There are three categories of things people are talking about as if it is one. One is actual extraterrestrial biological entities, evens from other star systems that have craft, etc. Okay. 100% they're not hostile. 100% they're peaceful. 100% they're way more advanced than we are socially and in every other way. Then there are the man-made phenomena, man-made UFOs and man-made electronic systems that simulate ET and also things from other dimensions, like Stranger Things, Montauk. Then you have actual intelligences and beings that are from another dimension, but are not extraterrestrial. Got it. Okay. Now, what is happening with, I call it cosmological indigestion, it's all getting mixed up, is that those, all those categories, because of a lack of knowledge and discernment and education, it's not, you know, are being all mixed together and conflated as one thing. That's very dangerous, actually. And the intelligence community loves it because they love for people to be confused and deceived. And they'd love for people to believe that some of these ETs are these malevolent, negative energy sucking things like an incubus or something um, that we should be terrified of because that justifies the war effort. That justifies the weapons in space. So this confusion is deliberate. It's been fostered through counterintelligence operatives in the society. And one of the most difficult things that I encounter all the time is untangling for people this cosmological confusion. So now it gets a little more nuanced. 
when you begin to understand that from the late 50s forward, the intelligence community had electronic devices that could activate through other dimensions some of these intelligences that are not ET, but are kind of spooky, like the series Stranger Things. A lot, a lot of these series, like the X-Files, those guys used to pick my brain um, for stuff for show, sure. and it all got made into Hollywood, you know, stuff, sensational stuff. But there's a core of it that's true. And I have a, a member of my team who is a Lockheed uh, engineer who is at the Cube, which is the big underground uh, research facility in the high desert of California for Lockheed Skunk Works, where he says, oh, yeah, we had the electronics where we could put someone in a room and go and, and with electronic headset, go into these other dimensions, not extraterrestrial, and pull into 3D these spooky creatures. Now, this sounds like something out of, out of Stranger Things. I've been talking about this for about 20 years, and most people listen. They go, WTF, is he serious? I am serious. I so believe it. This entire subject is unfortunately more nuanced and complex, but they like for people to kind of lump it all together. Because by lumping it all together, you can then say, see, some of these ETs are scary, and we need a defense system in space. So we can make a few trillion more dollars, haha, ha, et cetera, and so on. So people have to understand how information and disinformation is embedded with a strategic objective. I really need to do an entire course on counterintelligence and disinformation, which I've become somewhat of a specialist in, unfortunately, um, just by virtue of being who and kind of what I am. Did that confuse or help with your Oh, that's. That makes sense. I mean, I, what I'm understanding is part of the negative energies that would come through are, are really honestly more spirit. They're more sure. sort of they're interdimensional. Spirit realm. They're interdimensional. They're dimensional. They're from a lower, mm -hmm. they're from other dimensions that are coming through us. And mm -hmm. um, they come through in, from my understanding, in lower states of being, which are through negativity right. and fear right. and, and lower frequencies. That's the only way they can sort of take root is through the lower yes. frequencies. Well, you know, interesting, when I was at the Vatican some years ago, there was a, a senior theologian for Pope John Paul that I was at his apartments overlooking St. Peter's. And he, he, we, start, we have this conversation. I interviewed him. We have a big interview with him. It's in Italian, which mm. I can't understand. But if we had someone translate it, we could put it out. But anyway, um, what's interesting is that when our conversation he wouldn't do the interview in English because his English wasn't proficient enough, but in conversation, he would speak with me. And he said, um, and we started talking about this issue, exactly what you brought up. And he says, yes, he says, well, neither angels nor demons require flying saucers. And he started laughing. Now, he was the senior theologian and demonologist for the Pope at the Vatican. Mm -hmm. So we had this amazing conversation where he clearly understood the difference between yeah. these sort of spooky things from other dimensions sure. versus humans versus interstellar planetary civilizations that are right. extraterrestrial. Now, the reason they're easily confused, I want to take it one more little notch. I hope I don't lose your, your audience. No, you're not losing if, me. If you're going from one star system to another mm -hmm. through vastness of space, you cannot do it at the speed of light. It would take you millions of years. Mm -hmm. Therefore, those spacecraft and everyone on it 
through electronics, we understand now, very high voltage resonant systems, harmonic resonant systems, drop out of linear space-time and traverse through other dimensions to go from you know, a million light years here and here is really right here because of what's called entanglement in physics. But they're not doing it on a particle level of physics, which you can read about. They're doing it with the whole spacecraft and everyone on board. But because they can go through these other dimensions, they can remain in those dimensions while they're outside your back door. And all you'll see is a sphere or an orb. Now, there could be things from other dimensions that might look like an orb. Where do you, how do you know the difference? If you have to be trained. And that's what I train people to do. I do these week-long expeditions out in the desert. We went to, actually to Arizona many years. Are you doing any more? Can I come? Well, you know, since last March when they shut the, the planet down because of COVID, we haven't organized any of those. I did, I, I did one for several days up in Joshua Tree National Park with, with Demi Lovato and some of her friends and my senior team. We had amazing things happen. We had yeah. crap right above us up here. I could probably collect a few people that would be very interested in very interesting people. We should do that. We should what do it with a bunch of influencers who can kind of get the word out. Oh, I can 100% put that together. Oh, that'd be great. We should do that. It'd be so much fun um, because there are beautiful places to do it once it warms up a bit. You know, you have to be careful That's at night. We, you know, one time we were at Joshua Tree and it was like 18 degrees at night. We had no idea. and People were freezing because you're out there for like, six hours at night oh yeah well that's okay we i think that we could figure out how to stay warm plus actually i just did an interview for wine so it's like sitting here so i'd be like i mean i could bring some of that you know yeah, that's right there you go no, um, we, we find ways i call it after we do our like formal project at the end we do a babitas and conviviality and have a little uh, party at the end that's fun. demi thought it was hilarious because I'm, I'm a bit of a wild man party animal more than are you oh, oh very. Well. An extremist. Yeah. You, you do what I do. You got to cut loose. I, uh, yeah. A hundred percent. Life is about balance. It's, yes. it's absolutely about balance. Um, what, I mean, like, what's your hope? Like what, I mean, in your lifetime, like what, what, what are you hoping to accomplish? Cause I want to help. Like, I totally believe in this stuff too. And, you know, I, I have more examples of the consciousness side of things and connecting energetically uh, entanglement wise uh, through consciousness to my higher self, but other beings as well and right. having communication and getting information. And so like they all thread into the same sort of thing. And Absolutely. I've been meeting yeah. some really fascinating people and, and, you know, we basically are like, okay, so we are ancient uh, friends and we come from this star system. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I, I just think that if we're going to take the next step is as a civilization, we can't improve, we can't try and fix or change what's going on with the old world. We just have to make a new one. Correct. And as Einstein said, no problem was ever solved from the level of consciousness that created it. But we have to be in a higher level. And um, yes, well, one thing that everyone can do is, is to help us get this information out to their social media followers, if you can help us with that. It's really all networking since, you know, we, we really don't have a budget of any consequence or what have you. It's all just person to person networking. And that's how we've reached. I mean, unacknowledged, that documentary was eventually saying 
by about 650 million people. Oh, I saw it years ago. I saw it yeah. years ago. Yeah. And so that's how we're doing this, just little by little, you know, to the extent we have, but people who can get the word out. And I'm going to, I'm going to start a, um, a 10 part, they're, they're short 30 minute shows on a sort of a, a, a consciousness based uh, TV network called Gaia TV. I'm going to start my own program starting in, uh, we're going to, it should come out this summer, I think. And um, you should interview me. You should be the guy, the host that interviews me. I'd love to. It would be so cool. Yeah, it's right there in Boulder. Anyway, um, I was just talking to the producer last night uh, about this. So, uh, and, and that'll be great because we'll be over 10, 30 minute segments. We'll go, be able to go pretty deeply in a way that will reach, you know, a fair number of people that way. Um, and so that's what I'm just trying to look for, you know, how do I, I get this information out uh, in a way that's increasingly deep, you know, because it's one thing to say, well, the UFOs are real, but we don't know what they are. It's another thing to say, well, once you find out what they are, and they're multiple sources, man-made and ET, what are you going to do uh, now? You know, what are we going to do when we grow up? Well, we need to make contact with them. But since the government's so dysfunctional, I I'm, up, I'm just down the road from Thomas Jefferson's house, Monticello. And I go, well, it's we the people, right? So I believe Always in that. We are the I power. believe in people power. We are the power. Yes. One I, person cannot change everything. It's the collective. Right. We are the power. We just don't really realize it. Or some we of are, us do. Yeah. No, I think people increasingly are awakening to that. I, I did a clubhouse interview um oh, cool yeah I've, I've got that app too oh well we should follow each other on it um i didn't know anything about it till a couple weeks ago but um i was on a couple of days after elon musk and we had like three times as many people in my room as he did and it was so exciting but what i what i was saying in that is you know it, it, because you're, there's no time limit i think we went on till four or five in the morning east coast time mm. and uh, it was kind of crazy but um it was that many people, maybe 8,000 people. But what, what, what I shared was that, you know, and I'm dating myself here, but when I was in high school in North Carolina and Charlotte, um, I had an African-American girlfriend, and which not cool in 1972 and 73. This will get you killed. Um, and I was run over. I was hit by a car bicycling to school by a bunch of racists who were screaming, inward lover at me and all this i was very hated for having an african-american girlfriend who was wonderful but you know and i tell people what is this constant evolution in humanity to go beyond our divisions and our tribalism whether it be homophobia misogyny uh prejudice against one ethnic or religious group or anti-semitism or racism now what the intelligence community is very good at doing is presenting some of the ETs as the next race we have to fight. It's like cowboys and Indians in space. And that's, they're playing on human weakness to be afraid of the unknown. That's the roots of racism. They're different from us. They're not part of our tribe. Therefore we're going to fight them. Mm. And this, this is a deep discussion we're getting into here, where in order to transcend that, to go beyond that, we have to go into an understanding of what is the color of conscious spirit? Yeah. 
Right. It's not black. It's not white. It's not gay. It's not straight. It's not this. It's not that. It's not human. It's not ET. It's universal. Yeah. And see, that is at its root the solution to this endless de- balkanization and division that sets one group against another and another group against another. This go on forever. It's been going on for thousands of years on this planet, but it can't go on much longer when you start then expanding that racist paradigm to an interstellar one, because now you're talking about war of the worlds, right? You're talking about world war three. So that's what we have to wait, awaken to. And in a way, this sounds very philosophical, but it's actually very practical. We have to have a paradigm commensurate with the time we live in. And we're living in an interstellar moment, even if it's unacknowledged. And, and so we have to develop a paradigm that goes beyond just our own human concepts. Sure. And so, it, you know, it, we've got to go beyond just the concepts of one group and of humanity oppressing another. We have people in the intelligence community trying to set up a new boogeyman, similar to how Adolf Hitler set up the Jews and gay people and intellectuals and threw them into ovens. Well, that's what these people really are. I don't use this word promiscuously, uh, fascists. And and they want everyone to be at each other's throat in endless war and endless war and endless war. Well, the only way we're going to break out of that cycle, in my opinion, is that we realize what is really deep within us that's profoundly unifying. Yeah. And that is this deeper state of pure consciousness. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll ask the final question then that um, you can give me your perspective on it. Uh, what are we here for? Mm. I think we're here to carry forward a really ever-advancing civilization that becomes peaceful, interstellar, but it's also the womb. Earth is a female conscious being, becomes the womb of the evolution of humanity in higher states of consciousness and enlightenment. Mm. And that goes on forever. And eventually, we humans will become extraterrestrials to other worlds, educating and advancing. That I see this as a as, as a, a motif that goes on forever and ever. And I've, that's part of the, the big play and display of creation and the creator mm-hmm. of, of the drop, each of us being drops, returning to the ocean forever mm-hmm. and ever. Yeah. I uh two things. One, I, I have heard that. I've heard that um there are extraterrestrial guiding us mm-hmm. with certain like i mean look i'm getting out there but why not what we're talking about is pretty out there yeah is that i have i exist in other uh, in other planetary systems and other dimensions i have i have i have guides that are from other dimensions helping me and that's happening all across the world and that they're here to help guide us into um the uh, continuing to be the next state of consciousness. And when we finally become a peaceful planet, then just like you said, I heard that we become the next group of extraterrestrial that then go into other planetary systems and help guide them through their evolution to, um, it's beyond enlightenment. It's one, it's a, it's a unity. It's a, it's, it's a, of drop in the ocean, right? Where we return back to consciousness. I watched this beautiful um, 
I watched this uh, show called The Good Place. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about going to the good place or the bad place. And uh, sorry if you haven't seen it, but want to. But at the end of it, someone there's there's a couple and he decides that he wants to leave and return back to that field. And you now in the good place have this option to leave where they didn't before. But anyway, that's part of the show. And anyway, he was describing to his his partner, his girlfriend. I don't think they were married in the show. He was explaining what it was like. And he said, you imagine the ocean and it's a wave and it's a wave and it comes to the shore and then it crashes and then it just returns to the ocean. It's still the wave was there. It just looks different now and it's part of the ocean. So it never leaves. And I thought that was just such like a really beautiful way of thinking about our existence as humans. Yes. Um, and, and we are, that's what we really are. And we can choose to view and we can connect only as that ripple or wave or individuality, or we can also simultaneously be aware of the ocean that we actually are part of. And that's what this expanded state of consciousness and meditative state delivers you to. That's what I experienced when I died. That's what I experience when I go into deep meditation. And it's, um, I still do it. I train people in these meditation uh, techniques. And part of the, people don't realize when they go on one of these CE5 contact expeditions, everyone thinks they're going out there to watch and see a UFO. I said, well, that happens. We connect with those after we've done this other work (laughs) where we understand how to become the ocean and operate as ourself individually at the same time, we're aware of the ocean. It's simultaneous. And that's cosmic consciousness. Mm. So that's what, you know, when I was 17, 18, experienced and, and got introduced to. And uh, it became your life's work. It's beautiful work. Yeah. Yeah, it became your life's work. That's Thank you so much for your transparency and your honesty. And I know that you, you know, don't care because you've gone through things, but look, your bravery. I mean, these are things that most people just decide to take the 2 billion or they decide, you know what, my, my safety is more important than this. I'll just, you know, you know, we'll just wait until the next life maybe, or these are probably people that don't think they have a next life. And, you know, I really appreciate it. And um, your work is changing the world. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.